0: Scott Walker here on You Can't Recall Courage. Thanks for joining us this week on another podcast. Boy, an amazing week. So you have the uh, articles of impeachment announced by the Democrats in the House. Uh, You've got uh, the same, really almost in the same breath, Speaker Pelosi, who says she, you know, the president is a menace and can't be trusted, at the same time announces they've brokered a deal on the trade deal uh, with Mexico and uh, Canada. And, of course, the big news coming out across the globe is uh, uh, the conservatives. Boris Johnson and the conservatives make a major stride forward, which I think gives us some insights into what may very well happen in the November 2020 elections as well. So a lot to dive into today. You know, First off, I just think that uh, particularly House Democrats are so blinded by their hate uh, and in a way blinded by the money they're, they're getting throughout this process that they completely ignore the really I think are have been for some time early warning signs that their highly partisan impeachment scheme would ultimately be a big loser loser with the voters. Yeah, yeah, sure. Their base loves it. we saw this years ago at the recall election here in the state of Wisconsin where the, the base loved it. They got themselves worked up in their tither. They had massive protests. They brought people in from across the country. Uh, but in the end, it was a loser when it came to impeachment. In fact we we excuse me, the recall, we won the recall with more votes in June 5th of 2012 than we did in the actual general election on November 2nd, 2010. Why? Well, I think this is similar to what we're going to see in battleground states across America. In the case of the recall, uh, the left got ginned up. That eventually ginned up the base on the Republican side, and independent voters looked at this and said, this is not fair, this is not right, this is kind of ridiculous. And uh, we won the, the majority of independents which put us over the top in the recall election. I think you see some signs of that. I mean, earlier this year here in Wisconsin and other battleground states, the president in hypothetical head-to-head uh, contest was actually behind. And I, you know, I said at the time, remember, in the Marquette University Law School poll, which is probably of the public polls in Wisconsin, one of the more reliable ones, the president, President Trump, was behind Hillary Clinton less than a week out from the election, by six points. So I always think the polls skew a little bit against Republicans, I think even more so with this president. Part of the reason they, they poll against Republicans is uh, often right-of-center, conservative voters tend to be reluctant, particularly if a poll is done by a, a media outlet, to, to tell them who they're voting for and why. I think that's even more true with this president for some obvious reasons out there. But you look uh, just this last week, a number of interesting things out there. So Firestone Strategies does a poll in battleground states. They've been doing them each quarter. Uh, Just this past week, they announced that in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and here in Wisconsin, uh, the president was winning in head-to-head, hypothetical head-to-head matchups against all the current Democrat candidates by an average of six points in those three key battleground states. If you win Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, it's done, it's over. You can actually afford, under the right scenario, to even lose Michigan and Pennsylvania as long as the president wins Wisconsin and still get the required Electoral College votes. But, but if he wins all three, it's over. Again, it's early. Uh, it's, uh, it's about 11 months out. But to see that even in the midst of the impeachment, President Trump is ahead of the, uh, the, the, the broad list of potential Democrat candidates out there, that is a good sign for the president. It also showed in that same survey in those three key battleground hyper-important uh, states uh, that the majority of likely 2020 voters do not support impeaching the president removing him from office. Uh, as I've said, I think this is just a big loser. We thought early on that Nancy Pelosi was putting up these roadblocks, saying it need to be bipartisan, putting on some other stipulations. We thought that was less about the presidential race and more about protecting her vulnerable members. Remember, in 2018, there were a fair number of seats they picked up in areas that were Republican, including a number that went for the president. Uh, The concern I think Pelosi had early on, and probably rightfully so, is that these candidates won, uh, kind of on the promise that they were going to put the country ahead of the party, that they were going to move beyond the partisanship in, in the swamp in Washington. And so getting stuck in all this would be bad for them. It, it certainly has. If you've seen some of the footage of one particular uh, town hall meeting in Virginia where the uh, new member of Congress just got an earful, I think you're going to see more of that across the, uh, across the country. It wasn't just in this one poll, though, from Firehouse. We saw the Washington Post, even the Post, as liberals as they are, they acknowledged in the story uh, that, a poll, that looking at polls in a series of battleground states showed that uh, support for impeaching the president is considerably lower in those battleground states than it is in national polls. Uh, They looked at Arizona, Florida, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, and of course, Wisconsin. And they found on average that 51% of those surveyed actually opposed impeachment, while 44% supported it. You compare that to the national polls, where 47 percent support impeachment, 43 percent do not, and you can see how skewed it is by places like New York City and San Francisco and other liberal enc- enclaves all across America. And I think for those camped out, particularly in Washington, D.C., they, they're kind of living in this bubble. For years, I've called Washington 68 square miles surrounded by reality, that they're living in a bubble. They. They don't realize what most Americans think about this. And and it's interesting. It Again, parallel to what we saw in Wisconsin was that there were a number of independents that voted for me in the recall just because I thought I should get a fair shake, that I should have a full term to see if our policies worked. Um, even in some of the, uh, the verbatim responses, they point out they didn't always agree with exactly the way we did it or exactly the way we talked about it, but they thought just basic fairness should kick in. And I think that's particularly true When you look at states like Wisconsin and other battleground states in the middle of the country, you get outside of the New York, California, Washington, D.C. bubble, and you realize basically most Americans have a sense of fairness. And I don't think they think this process is fair. I've often asked—I've been asking it for the last few weeks, you know, if if the Bidens did nothing wrong, then the president's request doesn't get him anything personally nor politically. If the Bidens did do something wrong, I think most Americans think it's legitimate the president would want to look into it, and, and that, since it was done in that foreign country, that he'd actually ask the officials from that foreign country to, to look into it. Remember, that there's nothing in the, in the evidence that was presented that suggests that the president told anyone to make anything up or uh, to exaggerate or embellish or anything else like that. He talked about looking into the matter. And again, like I said, if there's nothing wrong, there's no value to him. There's no political value, there's no personal value, uh, there's no benefit whatsoever. If the Bidens did do something wrong, which I and a lot of other people are highly suspect of that, when you think about, remember, this isn't just hearsay. Vice President Biden, while he was vice president, um, was apparently, according to his own comments, I mean, he's on video saying this, that he held up resources to Ukraine until they took action against this prosecutor. Remember, the prosecutor was, amongst other things, looking into the very company that Hunter Biden, the son of Vice President Joe Biden, uh, was on the board of. And, and again, many would consider asking, how was he on the board of? Because uh, he had no experience in Ukrainian regulatory climate. He had no experience in the industry uh, that he was a part of. Uh, it seems pretty obvious his main asset was that he had a direct line to the Vice President of the United States and from what Joe Biden himself said, uh, Biden was not afraid to do stuff about that, or at least about this particular prosecutor. So uh, I think most Americans, uh, the more Democrats, the more liberals have talked about it, the worse off it's got. Certainly we saw that in Wisconsin, where uh, the, the Marquette University Law School poll that was taken a few weeks ago showed at that time that impeachment wasn't having a positive impact for Democrats. In fact, for the first time in head to heads, uh, the president was ahead of, of each of the four major Democrat candidates out there. You add that up, and what I thought was interesting in that Marquette poll—and is and I think this is part of it—was the fact that that uh, I think part of the reason he was pulling head to head was not only that people were put off uh, by the partisan overreach of the impeachment, uh, but that the president offers a pretty dramatic contrast, getting things done, versus the do-nothing Democrats. I, you know, if I'm a presidential candidate, I, I'm a bit frustrated by this impeachment as well because it's taken all the attention off of their debates, off of their focus. Instead, most Americans equate the Democrats today with a party that's obsessed, obsessed with this witch hunt, obsessed with this uh, this whole focus on on uh, on hearing after hearing after hearing, as opposed to getting things done. The president's got a pretty good case to be made. The, the Marquette poll in Wisconsin showed that that almost 80 percent of the voters who responded thought the economy either had gotten better or stayed the same over the past year, versus just 18 percent who thought it got worse. That's really important going into the election year. And I think it only grew. I mean, you think about a week ago, the U.S. Labor Department showed that 266,000 new jobs were created in November alone. That's far better than the 187,000 that most of the economists of Wall Street thought were going to come about. You look at national unemployment, it's now ticked back down to 3.5%. Uh, this year, uh, that's the lowest it's been this year um, since, prior to this year, I should say, since December of 1969. It's almost 50 years, just a month shy of 50 years. Plus, you look at other things. Average hourly earnings rose by 3.1%. It's a little bit ahead of expectations. More good signs going forward. And my advice to the president is simple. Just keep talking about it. I love the ads that contrast... Uh, the president's ability to get things done, with the do-nothing Democrats obsessed with impeachment. Again, I think most people—the biggest frustration they have is that things aren't getting done in Washington. And, and Donald Trump, as disruptive as he might be, I, I think many people are willing to cut him a little slack if positive things happen to the economy and to their household income and just to the country as a whole. Now, I want to parallel that with with something that, that just happened this week, in uh, the United Kingdom. But first, let's take a quick break. Hey, Scott Walker back on You Can't Recall Courage. You know, it's interesting, so a couple of key things that happened this week beyond just uh, the details around impeachment. So Boris Johnson, conservatives, got a clear signal from voters in the United Kingdom, particularly when you look at the transformation in many ways, much like we've seen here in the United States, where. I think back to Wisconsin, and we were a little bit ahead of the curve predicting what's happened with Donald Trump. You know, back in 2010, not only did I win uh, after Democrats controlled everything in the state of Wisconsin, uh, but we picked up two seats in the House, and Ron Johnson was elected to the United States Senate. One seat in particular, Sean Duffy, congressman uh, who who just left. uh, They had their ninth child, and and, uh, he and Rachel decided it was time to spend more time with the family. But in 2010, Sean Duffy— was a district attorney, a former reality TV star, lumberjack champion uh, from northwestern Wisconsin. At the time, when he originally got in, he was running against Dave Olby, who'd been in for decades. In fact, if I remember right, I think Dave Obey was elected, uh, he might have been elected actually even before Sean Duffy was born. So you're talking decades and decades ago. He was in in the College of Cardinals, as one of my professors in college used to call them. That was the... The House committee chairs, he was uh, not just a chair, he was the chair of the Appropriations Committee, so a pretty big deal. Over the years, over the decades, you look, there's a lot of buildings ad- adoring his name, kind of like Senator Byrd's name in West Virginia, in northwest Wisconsin. There's a lot of names in clinics and hospitals and campus structures that are named after David Ovey because as Appropriations ch- Chair, he was easily able to put earmarks in there. So this was a guy who was pretty powerful. He'd been around for decades. He'd helped build kind of a, a whole base of supportive folks who were elected to county and state office who had worked for him or were part of his team along the way. And yet in 2010, Sean Duffy got in, and after Duffy was piquing interest, raising money and connecting with voters, eventually David Obie decided to retire. Completely unexpected, not, not anything that people talked about. Decided to to retire and since then it has been consistently Reliable for Duffy and I assume will be as well. I'm personally supporting Tom Tiffany who's who's a great uh, small business owner and one of the stellar conservatives in the Wisconsin State Senate who stood with me time and time again on the major reforms against the big government union bosses and others out there but when I look at that district uh, not only uh, was Duffy able to win it, but we started picking up more seats in the state legislature in, in 2016. And since then, it's been the most reliably pro-Trump congressional district in the entire state. Why do I say that? Well, I think you saw a little bit of that in, in the votes for Parliament in the United Kingdom, uh, in that uh, there's a lot of the forgotten men and women, the very basis of support for Donald Trump in 2016 and presumably again next year in 2020, uh, they gravitated because this was someone who was speaking to them and to their interests and their concerns. You see in the United Kingdom a number of districts, a number of, of, of districts for there were elections for members of parliament, including one in particular that, much like the OBC, for decades had been controlled by the Labor Party. And yet it came out reliably for the conservatives. I think part of that's well, it's a combination of things. It's a uh, Boris Johnson very clearly focusing on uh, getting things done, beginning with the exit from the Brexit, the exit from the United, uh, the European Union, combined with getting other things done that have a substantive impact on the lives of people all throughout the United Kingdom. And you can see, <coughs> excuse me, you can see uh, the kind of impact it had uh, at the ballot box. In contrast, you have the Labour Party that. Has, over the years, drifted away from kind of the blue-collar populist uh, message they'd had in the past, increasingly become aligned with kind of the establishment, the elite. Uh, and then he's thrown a, a leader who's probably the most, the, one of the most radical of the radicals on the left out there. It's no wonder people like Bernie Sanders and AOC were out strongly endorsing uh, him and the efforts of the Labor Party. It was a huge loss. In fact, I, I joked the other night, Last night uh, when the results came out, I, I joked, it's probably the biggest loss for labor, spelled differently here, but biggest loss for labor since the recall elections in Wisconsin uh, back years ago. But, but I do think it gives a lesson for the future, and that is if you focus on things that are meaningful to everyday voters or, or focused at, on, on improving their lives, improving not just their household income, but the ability particularly of their children to grow and prosper, to get an education, to get skills, to be able to see wages go up and, and to live in a strong community, and particularly more than just that, but, but feel like leaders actually care about the things they care about. I mean, think about it. the Labor Party and even some of the, the Conservative Party members who were wanted to ignore the will of the people and stay in the European Union. That That's a pretty condescending point of view. The, the voters clearly made their voices heard, and they said, get out. And time and time again, the elites in London thought better. They, they thought they knew better. <coughs> and I think that's a powerful lesson going forward. Add that to the fact that this week, and they did it, they tried to hide it for, for a year now. Nancy Pelosi and the liberals in the House of Representatives had been trying to not give President Trump a major victory when it comes to the trade deal with Canada and Mexico. I think under tremendous pressure, and including from a number of swing district Democrats who, who realize this is a big deal. This is a big deal to their manufacturing workers. It's a big deal to farmers. I, I know it's true to the ones I've talked to in Wisconsin and across the country. Finally, they negotiated a deal with the president to get this deal going forward. Now, I don't think you can exaggerate how important this is, not, not just because of the trade deal itself, but because it offers such an incredible contrast While Democrats are associated with far left-wing ideas, ideas that will cost us tens of trillions of dollars to an already overextended federal budget uh, and and budget debt that that this country faces, at a time when you've got extreme ideas like government-run health care that would take your health care away, that if, if you're one of the almost 180 million Americans who get your coverage under private health insurance, that you get it through your employer in many cases. Uh, that that's going away if government-run health care that Elizabeth Warren and, and uh, Bernie Sanders and others talk about, when you start to see how radical these ideas are and you compare it to a president and, and his team who just systematically are getting things done, I, I think this is a good week overall for those of us right of center, certainly a good week for the president. Uh, in normal circumstances, wouldn't be, but under President Trump, nothing is normal anymore. And I think what we have saw uh, across the way with one of our greatest allies in the United Kingdom is that listening to the people pays dividends at the polls. Ignoring the will of the people uh, is something that will be uh, damaging over and over and over again. And uh, so that's uh, something I, I certainly hope and I believe, already based on his comments, uh, President Trump will take focus and note of. Uh, I think it's going to be incredibly important going into the 2020 elections to stay focused on that. I think it's part of the reason why Pelosi and company want to get through this impeachment vote uh, as quickly as possible and move on to other things to offer a starker contrast. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, I'll be on uh, not only our podcast next Friday, but on Monday, uh, the 16th of December, join us from 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time. I'll be on News Talk 1130 WISN, filling in for Mark Belling, Again, you can uh, tune in on AM 1130 or or join us on the online live broadcast. We'd love to have you join us for the discussion from 3 to 6 this Monday, 3 to 6 p.m. this Monday afternoon on Newstalk 1130 WISN. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, You Can't Recall Courage. Uh, Until next week, keep fighting for freedom.